Well, good morning. My name is Rick Lyman. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Christ Church. If we've not had the chance to meet, I'd love to connect with you after service so we can become a bit better acquainted. And as you know from what Heather has said, we are in the second Sunday of the season of Lent. We are doing a seven-part series during this season, focusing on all of the things Jesus said, seven statements he made from the cross. And last, cross, and last week, Pastor Dan preached on the very first thing Jesus said while he was on the cross, in absolute physical agony. And it was not to curse his enemies, but he had asked his father to forgive them for what they had done because they didn't know who he was or what it is they were doing and who they were doing it to. I want you to pause with me for just a moment here as we begin and take in the magnitude of what we're considering in this Lenten series leading up to Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. Jesus wasn't just on a cross. Prior to having his hands and feet nailed to that with large spikes into the crossbar of that cross on the bottom of it with his feet, he had endured several multiple severe beatings, just being pummeled as his mock trial happened, and again after that, and then ultimately submitted himself willingly to a scourging, which is a vicious flesh-tearing beating that he received. It was designed, just so you know, the Romans designed their scourgings to leave a person to within one inch of death. That is what Jesus has been to then. He was nailed to the cross, hanging naked between two convicted, violent criminals. So he's in inescapable, inexorable pain like none of us could possibly have ever experienced, with no medicine, no relief, no painkillers, and no escape for him. And this Jesus, God incarnate, is thinking about others. First, he prayed for forgiveness for the people who had caused him the pain. And today, we're gonna consider what he said after that. I'm gonna encourage you to stand with me as we look into Luke's gospel. As I read aloud, let's take a stand to our feet. Luke's gospel captures a second thing that he said in these words. Starting with verse 32, it says, two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. And then it says this, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Can you may stand for just a moment as we pray together. One of the things that is very important as we study God's word privately, whether we're reading it or going through a Bible study with a group or even here at church, is to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to understand what it is God is speaking to us because God's word speaks and it produces wonderful results, but we want to understand what it is he's saying. And I also invite you to pray for me that I might deliver God's word as he'd have me do it this morning. Let's open our hearts to him in prayer. Father, we just thank you for giving us the truth in your word that you said would set us free, Jesus. I pray this morning as we consider this interaction between you on the cross with one of those criminals nailed on a cross next to you, that our hearts will be moved as his was, 
that our hearts will be illuminated and we'll understand what that interchange was and that there's actually hope for each one of us, that none of us are beyond your help at any point in our lives. And I pray, God, that you'll speak to us in ways that'll help us see others as you see them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So this criminal next to Jesus was thinking about something important. In fact, he was wondering at that moment what was really going to happen to him when he died. It seems to me this should be a paramount concern to all of us, actually, uh, no matter who we are, what stage of life we're in. Because, you know, we make plans for a lot of things in our lives. We might make a plan to go to a trip to California or Cleveland. And, you know, we'll get on Internet and look at pictures and get on TripAdvisor, if you like that, and read dozens of ratings about the best restaurants in that area and all those kinds of things. So you get a sense, if you've never been to a place, kind of what it's like. So some years back, my wife and I planned a trip to Jamaica, we were going to a paradise kind of a trip in that situation. And there weren't, it was before the internet, so that should tell you how old I am. Okay, it was before that. There were computers, yeah, there were big computers in those days, but no internet. But we had a printed travel guide, one of those things that looked like a phone book with lots of pictures of different places. It had one picture of this place down there in Jamaica that looked really good, it had high ratings and everything else. And so we made our plans and went down there and got to this beautiful spot on the ocean and went into a hotel that I think it had been renovated uh, between the 19th and 20th century, about 1899. This place was old and musty and just wasn't what our expectations were. The location was great. We spent most of our time out by the pool, on the beach, and other places because the, the building itself needed to be renovated. You know, it's always better when you get a reference from somebody who's actually been to a place that you know personally, and they can tell you the real ins and outs, what it's really like there. Well, Jesus is the only one that ever walked on this earth that came from heaven in the first place. He knew exactly what heaven was like. He knew exactly how to get there, actually, and he was the way of getting there. So he spoke with authority on this topic on many occasions as he walked on this earth. In fact, most recently before this occasion, in Luke's gospel, just less than 24 hours before, at the Last Supper, he spoke to his closest friends, the apostles, knowing that he was going to die the next day and knowing that they still had in them the fear of death themselves. The threats were out there. They were after Jesus and they figured if they get him, they're going to come after us and and we might be martyred for this new faith that we've come into. So in John chapter 14, Jesus said these words to them to calm me. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't get upset about this death thing. I'm going to die. I'm going to come back and someday... He says, I'm going to go ahead of you to heaven, this real place I know all about, and and there's many places, many residences there. And I'm going to make a special place for you in heaven, this place I came from. I know all about it. I know the topography. I know the beauty. I know the geography. I know how it is. And when the time comes for you to join me in heaven, I'm going to come and get you personally and take you there. You don't have to worry about what happens after you die. But you realize this, friends, the number one fear in the human race To this day, it's always been is the fear of dying because it's an unknown. We just don't know what's going to happen, and those kind of things usually create a fearful mindset. But I want to start start by asking a pretty bold question. If you were to die suddenly tonight, would you be in heaven? You know, it's really the most important question in life. Where are we going to spend eternity? And I'm sure most of us would answer something like, well, if I die tonight, I hope 
I'd be in heaven. Or I'm maybe pretty sure, maybe some are more confident in their faith. Well, I'm absolutely certain because of what Jesus did for me. But how can we really know? What assurance can we have? How is, is it even possible to know this? Well, that very question is something of great importance to most people. And in fact, years ago, a survey was done of the wealthiest 1% of Americans. Okay, we're talking about really rich people who've got millions of dollars in assets and make half a million dollars a year in salaries. And they asked them what things would make happiness and what they'd be, what make them happy and what they'd pay for them. On the bottom of this list was being president, believe it or not. They would only pay $50,000 to be president. Now people are paying billions to become president, and look what's happening. Great beauty was worth about $80,000 to these extremely rich people if they could buy that. Eternal youth, they'd pay a quarter million dollars for that. True love was worth 400000 But the most expensive wish was a place in heaven. For that, they'd pay up to $640,000. Imagine that. These millionaires would fork out $640,000 to get a spot in heaven. Actually, these respondents were way off about the worth of heaven. Heaven is priceless, and yet the reality is it's a free gift. We're going to explore together the profound exchange between Jesus and this one criminal who hung on the cross. This is a violent person talking to the purest soul that had ever set foot on this earth. And that exchange and the resultant transformation is inspiring and informative to all of us. We're going to address some of the questions that arise out of this, like how is it possible for a hell-bound, violent criminal to be allowed on the express train to heaven? Jesus said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. And what happened that changed the one criminal's heart so quickly? Something happened in that exchange. And what was the one and the only thing that this man did that brought salvation to his heart and his whole being into paradise, into heaven? Well, that address the question, is it ever too late for anybody to change and receive the gift of salvation? And then what exactly happens to us when we die? We're going to talk about those things today. So this simple short account tells us of how we can be assured and fact certain of going to heaven. No doubt about it. The good news I mentioned a moment ago is this priceless gift is free. There's no strings attached. There's no two years, no interest, and then the interest rate goes to 1,000% and you're paying the rest of your life. It's free for the rich. The salvation Jesus offers is free for the poor, for the old, for the young, for women and men, for every race, every nation, every tongue, for all time is included in this amazing offer of salvation. My friends, the powerful message from these few verses of Scripture, these five short verses I've just read aloud from the Gospel of Luke, if you accept it, and understand it, and receive it for yourself, you can leave this auditorium today absolutely certain of your destiny in heaven and no longer ever needing to fear death again. That's a bold statement, but it's a true thing because that's what this is about today. Let me say this another way. This Jesus, the Son of God, who came to this earth and laid his life down and subjected himself willingly to a horrific and excruciating death, he did that for that very purpose so that you, and so that me, that we could be set free from the lifelong torment of fearing death in an uncertain eternity. In fact, Hebrews chapter 2 says, Jesus, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil and to set free those who are in lifelong bondage to a fear of dying. So let's talk a little bit about who this guy was next to Jesus. We know there were two criminals, and some translations use the word thief. 
The modern, more current ones do not, because this man was a violent criminal. The Greek word that was used was not for the common thief. He wasn't a pickpocket or somebody sneaking into someone's house at night and taking some jewelry. That is a different word. This word was one of a brazen act done in broad daylight, almost always harming or murdering the person they were stealing from. This is an armed robber who was violent, who'd likely killed multiple people during his lifetime. And it's almost certain that the family members of his victims were in that jeering crowd out there that gathered to see him crucified. The way people would come to be invited, maybe when they've had a victim in their family to a gas chamber where someone's gonna be executed or to a lecture chair in the days when they did that, and maybe still do, they get to see the sense of justice. That's the kind of person he was. And he admitted it. He said, we're being punished, executed justly. He knew for the murderous things and violent things he he had done, he actually deserved to die. He got that. But this criminal, by the way, started out mocking Jesus with the other criminal and the crowd around him. Back in Matthew's gospel, when he was first, when they were first put on the cross, the scriptures tell us this, the criminals who are with him, who crucified with Jesus, also shouted insults at him. That's where he started. But something happened as that day wore on. He heard what Jesus said in response to the Roman vicious beating and crucifixion. He saw how he responded to the verbal and violent abuse that the Pharisees were heaping upon him on the cross. And instead of Jesus condemning them, he heard Jesus pray for them, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. I believe that was a turning point for this violent criminal. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute. How in the world could this man, who is innocent, who's been wrongly convicted, who's been violently treated, pray for people? He had never met anyone like that on earth. Friends, because there never was anyone else like that on earth. This was God himself, the purest love that could ever be, that he was thinking about and praying for the people that were abusing him in that moment. I think six things happened to him. Number one, Jesus' pure heart revealed the ugly, sinful darkness in his heart and life. The pure light of Jesus in that one statement and the presence of what he did in forgiving everybody made that criminal be aware of that there was something desperately wrong and sinful about him. Secondly, he knew he was dying for sure, that there was no escape, and he would soon face God. The fear of the Lord began to enter his soul in a fresh way in those moments as he was facing death. And he says, don't you fear God or the other criminal? You're you're just about to die. I'm really afraid of this. He was envisioning facing a holy God. He knew enough about God, who God was, that he was terrified of facing him. The physical pain in that moment wasn't on his mind. It was facing a holy God, having to deal with him, the just and righteous God. And he had sinned a lot. This guy had sinned a lot. There's no evidence he did anything good in his life that would amount to anything except for violence. He was probably rejected by his own family because of his criminal status. He says, we deserve to die for our evil deeds. But by divine revelation, by the work of the Holy Spirit, even in that moment while he was on the cross, he finally realized who Jesus really was. He was more than mere human, but he was the son of God. He said, I think prophetically, this man's done nothing wrong. Jesus had done nothing wrong, and yet he was suffering in that same way. The light of the Holy Spirit that brought self-awareness to this man also illuminated the beauty of who Jesus really was next to him, which moved him along and clicked within him 
And friends, this violent criminal who started out mocking Jesus, tormenting with the crowds, now is defending him against the other criminal who continues the jeering. He says, don't you fear God? This guy's pure. You shouldn't be saying that about him. He's defending him. By God's grace alone, something happened in his heart and he was prompted to ask Jesus a question, to ask him to save him. Somehow he knew that Jesus' grace could save him. He must have thought, wow, wait a minute. Jesus forgave these Romans who we all hate, who really are bad people to us. He forgave the Pharisees. Maybe there's a chance for me. Hearing those words of grace and forgiveness softened his heart, I believe, and made him think, wait a minute, I want to be forgiven too. Now that he sees it's possible, now that he sees that even the worst of the worst could be forgiven, he says, I went in on this thing. And such an important lesson, it's the kindness of Jesus that led to the repentance in this man's heart, not condemnation. And then finally, he got enough courage up to ask him, but the scriptures tell us in Ephesians chapter uh, 2 verse 8, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by work so no one can boast. And then eventually, this man dared to ask Jesus if he would save him. And he believed that Jesus would say yes. The scriptures tell us anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Jesus' response in one simple sentence are the most liberating, life-giving words he could possibly release to any human on earth. In fact, this is the only man recorded in Scripture that Jesus personally promised heaven to. And he did it in a very specific way. And this powerful truth, friends, can help us be reassured if we're believers today of our destiny. And also, if we've never really received him, never reached out to him, never said yes to Jesus, that we can receive salvation this very day. Jesus said, truly, I tell you, you're going to be with me in paradise. Now, when Jesus prefaced something by saying, truly, I tell you, or verily, verily, any King James fans in the room? Verily, verily, or he's saying, I really mean this, even though it sounds going to sound impossible to you. This guy's a violent criminal. He didn't even ask Jesus to take him to heaven that day. He said, when you come in your kingdom, at the end of time, when you return, later on, don't forget about me. I'll be burning in hell or something, but come and get me. He's not asking to be taken to heaven. And Jesus says, no, truly, truly, I tell you, today, today, now, very soon, your horrible suffering's gonna end, and you won't have to wait in limbo or purgatory or some distant corner of the cosmos. Jesus said, today, you will, for certain, be with me. He's not just getting to a better place out of the physical torment into the great, beautiful place of paradise or heaven. No, it's even more than that. It's the Holy One, the Son of God, would allow him to be with them. He says, you're going to be with me. Jesus would escort him right into paradise and all the way into heaven. Friends, this person had likely done no good in his whole life, maybe not much, he would be treated not like a second-class citizen when he entered the gates of paradise into heaven. Nope, he was going to be at Jesus' side next to the King of Kings. Not only were his sins forgiven, but the relationship with God had been reconciled completely by Jesus. I said this a moment ago, not one single person in the entire Bible was given that personal promise by God or by Jesus. Not, no apostle, no priest, no disciple, not one. And I believe 
God highlighted this, that this miserable, selfish, violent man was given that grace to help every single one of us understand how great God's grace is, and none of us are beyond his help. No person you know, no violent person, no vicious person is beyond the grace of God being able to save them. Now note that he did not give this man an hour-long lecture on theological concepts. He didn't give him reasons to repent. He didn't talk about the Trinity, though he could have. He could have talked at length about any topic. He didn't ask what church he belonged to. He didn't ask if he'd been baptized. He didn't ask him to pray a particular sinner's prayer. No, none of that. He just gave him a free ticket to paradise, seated in first class, right next to Jesus. This is not the kind of guys I said before you'd want to take on a family vacation in the back of the station wagon with their kids. Nope, not that kind of guy. And yet Jesus said, you're going with me. You're going to ride in first class with me. Well, sometime back, we took a trip to the Caribbean, another trip down to the Caribbean. My wife and I enjoy paradise-like climates in the wintertime. And we were collecting, my wife in particular, collecting uh, Yadro figurines. You know those things, Yadro, the two L's? You know, you've got to say it right. It's a Y instead of two L's. And so we had been given one of Jesus about this tall that was up on one of our um, fixtures in our house. And so we found in a shop, I forget which island we were on, but uh, of Moses holding the Ten Commandments. So it's a fairly fragile thing, a box about this big and a little rope around it, string around a little handle on the top. So we get on the plane coming home and we're making our way to the seats back in coach, those really small seats crammed together. And we're getting ready to sit down there and the flight attendant says, well, sir, would you like me to put that in a safe place so it won't get broken? I'm thinking, okay. I'm picture it takes, she went up to the front of the plane. I thought she put it in a storage place, a safe storage place. So later on in the flight, I make my way to use the restroom in the front of the plane, and there I see Moses sitting in first class with a seatbelt on him. <laughs> I'm thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. He doesn't need, can we put Moses in coach with a crummy meal, and I'll eat the first class meal? No, no, that was, uh, you know, uh, that's really what Jesus did. He took this person and put him in first class. I want to add a little more color to this picture. This person nailed to the cross, who was converted there in those moments, he couldn't go out and help the poor. He couldn't read the Bible, that Christian thing we do. He couldn't even do fervent prayer and be part of prayer meetings. He couldn't tell other people about Jesus. He couldn't go and evangelize. He couldn't go on a mission trip to help anybody else. There was nothing he could do. Nothing he could do to add to the grace of God that was saving him. And I believe this was highlighted in Scripture, and we're talking about it today because that should give great hope to all of us. Somehow in our psyche, we want to add to and think we have to do more things to become saved and make our way to heaven than what God has offered us, the free gift of grace. But Jesus promised this person he's going to heaven just because of the mercy and grace of God, and that's it. It's been said, on the hill of Calvary, there were three crosses, and three men. One man died in sin, the other criminal. One man in those moments died to sin. And one man, Jesus, died for sin. Max Licato speaks of the penitent criminal in these beautiful terms. He says, no stained glass homilies, no excuses, just a desperate plea for help. At this point, Jesus performs the greatest miracle of the cross. Greater than the earthquake, greater than the tearing of the temple curtain, greater than the darkness that came upon that land for, we know, for three hours, greater than the resurrected saints who appeared on the streets after Jesus died. He performs the miracle 
of forgiveness. A sin-soaked criminal is received by a blood-stained Savior. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Friends, that's exactly what happened, and that's exactly what's happened to each one of us when we opened our heart to Jesus, whenever that was, whether you were four years old or 40 years old, it's him that's come into us to cleanse us by his blood, to save us, to free us, and to make a place for us in heaven. I'm one who believes that each of us who've put our faith in Jesus in that way, Jesus is preparing a place specifically for us. You've got a mailbox with your name on it. I'm not sure what kind of mailbox. Is it email box? Is it snail mail? I don't know what it is, but you've got an address in heaven that Jesus is preparing for you. I want you to get that into your psyche and begin to look forward to those moments. But friends, a key word I want to close with here today is that word today. Jesus said to this particular criminal today, right now, I'm going to make this happen for you. The scriptures tell us that today is the day of salvation. Always today. It's always present tense. If you've never put your trust in Jesus, as this criminal did, if you've never asked him into your heart to be your Savior, to be your Lord, you've known about him, you know a lot about him, you've heard about him, you've seen other people that have gone on in the faith, but you're still wondering what to do with him, friends, may I be bold enough to ask you, can you make today be that day that you say yes to Jesus? That you say more than just remember me, but you say, Jesus, come and save me. I don't know everything about you. I don't know what it means to be a Christian fully, but I want in too. I know that I need to be forgiven, and now I realize, listening to the scriptures, that I can be forgiven. It's possible that some of us here today who have been longtime Christians have been offended by someone, hurt by somebody, maybe even endured violence at the hands of somebody maybe been rejected by them, and that we have begun in our own hearts to believe they'll never change. They're beyond help. They're beyond hope. They're helpless. They're just going to be that way forever. And friends, I want to encourage us all, if we know people like that in our spheres that we think and that we in our own way have written them off, is to remember Jesus didn't write this guy off. He was going to die that day in a simple prayer. The only thing that man could offer was remember me. And Jesus said, you're coming to heaven with me. His heart was changed. And I want to encourage us all to be thinking about the people who most afflict and offend us and even affront us in our faith, oppose us in what we believe in, to see them as Jesus saw both the Pharisees, the Roman soldiers, and how he saw this particular criminal through the eyes of grace. Because Jesus loved that person that all, each of us have people like that in our lives that we have maybe been frustrated enough to give up on. Jesus sees them through the eyes of grace today. And friends, I want to pray a prayer right now and lead us in that. If you've never yet said yes to Jesus, I want to encourage you to pray along these lines. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that when I die, I'm going to meet you and have to answer for my life. I admit to you that for much of my life I really haven't paid much or enough attention to you. I've been selfish, self-centered. I've sinned against you, I know that. 
I want to turn away from my flawed ways, but I find it impossible to do so. I keep trying and trying and trying, but I can't change myself. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me, for all that I've done wrong, so that I don't have to pay the penalty. I realize that now, Lord. I know that only your grace could save me, and I thank you for loving me and taking my guilt on the cross. Like this criminal on the cross that we've considered today, Lord, I humbly ask you to remember me, to save me from my sins and from myself. I trust you to do for me what I cannot do for myself. I trust you to be my savior forever. Amen.